0: Welcome to the St. Andrew's Sunday Morning Sermon Podcast. No matter who you are, where you've been, what you believe, or whether you even believe at all, you belong here.
1: Genesis is all about the beginnings of God's people. Through Joseph being sold into slavery by his brothers, and then Joseph rising to Egyptian, the Egyptian pharaoh's second-in-command, There is a drought, and his brothers come to Egypt. They set up shop, they grow their families. The book of Exodus is all about how they get out of Egypt. But first, they multiplied and grew exceedingly strong. Eventually, Joseph and his brothers and that whole generation pass away. This is where we meet today's scripture. Hear the word of the Lord. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shiprah, and the other Pua, when you act as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, kill him, but if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God. They did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the boys live. Then Pharaoh commanded his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews shall thro- be thrown into the Nile, but you shall let their daughter live. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine baby, she hid him for three months. When she could hide him no longer, She got a papyrus basket for him and plastered it with medium and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds in the bank of the river. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. The daughter of the pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and while her attendants walked beside the river, she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid to bring it. When she opened it, she saw the child. God bless you. He was crying and she took pity on him. This must be one of the Hebrews' children, she said. Then his sister said to the Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said yes. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child and nurse it for me, and I will give you wages. So the woman took the child and nursed it. And when the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, because she said, I drew him out of the water. Amen.
0: So this is our last time singing this song together as we end the sermon series. So that's for a little while at least. Not ever, but for now. So let's sing it together. (laughs) A faith just for us, just talk. Macaulay. time, practicing grace and truth, swimming against the tide, we will follow you. Swimming against the tide, practicing grace and truth, swimming against the tide, we will
2: follow you. I want to take just a moment to acknowledge um, the gift that Justin Bullis has given us with that song that he wrote himself specifically for this sermon series, "Swimming Against the Tide. I don't know about you, but throughout the week, I wake up in the morning, and that's the song in my head, and that's the value of beautiful music. Thank you. Justin. Next week we will begin a new sermon series called uh, Won't You or Will You Be Mine? It's the, uh, the sermon series focused on the art of neighboring and what a great season ahead for us of the next seven weeks as we move through summer to be thinking about how to be good neighbors and impact our own neighborhoods with God's grace and love and reconciliation Uh, Next week we will have a special guest preacher and that is your, our former senior pastor, uh, Reverend Dr. Harvey Martz, who is a friend, a mentor, and certainly a gift to all of us here in this community. So I encourage you to be here next Sunday to hear Harvey preach. As we finish up our sermon series today, I want to ask you to think just briefly about those people over the course of your life who have helped you become who you are today. Who would make that list for you? All the people who helped get you from there to here, from yesterday to today, from before and after. The people who maybe lent you a hand or gave you a leg up. The people who took a chance on you or invested in you. The people who challenged you, maybe said to you, no, or not yet, or not ever. Maybe somebody who said to you, chin up, step it up, get up and go. Who would be on your list of personal influencers, parents, grandparents, extended family members, probably teachers, mentors, coaches, colleagues and bosses, friends and complete strangers? Acquaintances and maybe even some adversaries. All those people that you've always known for your whole life and even those that knew you before you were even a thought. It's a miracle, really. You are a miracle. You could have been a million different people were it not for the million different people who helped you Become the one person you are today. And we forget this in our culture. We buy into the cultural myth that we are self-made. That we scratched and clawed our way to get to where we are today. Hard work, perspiration, perseverance, the whole bootstraps thing. And we say, no one gave me a thing. I did this all on my own. I earned this. Yeah, right. The legendary football coach Barry Switzer once said, some people are born on third base and go through life thinking they hit a triple. (laughs) And I'm not exactly sure why a legendary football coach was using a baseball metaphor But at least we know he was right. Just because we're standing on third base, it doesn't mean we hit a triple. Let me ask you, how did you get on third base? And by the way, you are on third base. Relatively speaking, you're on third base. There are 7.8 billion people on this planet at this very moment, and you happen to be here in one of the wealthiest and most advanced countries lands in the world. A lot of people would say that you won the lottery without even buying a ticket. Now, I know it's not quite that simple. Maybe born on third base seems like a stretch. Maybe it's true that you had a tougher life than others, that you really did work super hard to get where you are today, and no one, it felt like, ever handed you anything And I respect that. I can even identify with that in some ways. But before you make it your singular truth for your life and story, I want you to think about this ancient story about the birth of Moses. In the opening scenes of the book of Exodus, Pharaoh's daughter goes to the river to bathe. She spots a basket caught in the reeds. And inside the basket is a newborn baby, a Hebrew baby boy who, according to Pharaoh's order, must be tossed into the river to die, along with all the other Hebrew baby boys. This was Pharaoh's strategy for keeping the Hebrew population down, keeping it from overtaking the Egyptian population. But it turns out that nobody in the story is going along with Pharaoh's plan. They're all women, by the way. First, we have these two Egyptian midwives, Shipra and Pua, who conspire to defy Pharaoh's order by saving all the male Hebrew boys. Shipra and Pua are Egyptians. But still, we're talking babies here. And so they set up their own little underground railroad, so to speak. And they get these Hebrew baby boys into the hands of good people. And Pharaoh, all the while, can't figure out what's going on. The Hebrew population just keeps growing and growing. The joke's on him. Meanwhile, all the Hebrew women that are living in Egypt are equally defiant. These are the first moms in history to ever be described as mama bears. One of them, after giving birth, refuses to hand over her baby to die. She figures that she'll take her chances by putting him in a basket and floating the basket down the river, hoping for the best. Maybe the river was actually the Underground Railroad. We don't really know. What we do know is that sometimes when you do what you can and you hope for the best, good things happen, wonderful things happen because all of all the people that could have found this baby in a basket it turns out that of all people it's Pharaoh's daughter who does find the baby and spotting the baby in a basket in the reeds she hears the cries of that child she has him plucked from the Nile she arranges for a Hebrew mother to nurse the baby and then she Pharaoh's daughter adopts this Hebrew boy as her own son and she names the baby Moses because as she says I quote pulled him out of the water did you know this Moses his name means to pull to pull from or to draw out isn't this a great story it's full of defiance and courage compassion and irony Shipra and Pua, all the countless unnamed mothers, even Pharaoh's daughter, all conspiring, all conspiring against the deathly systems of oppression, pushing back against the evils and injustices of empire. I wish we had the name of Pharaoh's daughter who, quote, pulled him from the water because in that one act, in that one moment of history, that woman, that woman altered the course of human history forever. She used her privilege to ensure the survival, not only of this baby boy, but of an entire nation. She pulled from the water a child who would one day pull his people through the water and out of it toward their own liberation. When Moses was pulled from the water, in other words, the whole trajectory of human history was altered and it was Pharaoh's daughter of all people who did the pulling. Who are you pulling from the water? Are there people in our lives, in our neighborhood, in our community, in our world, who are drifting helplessly down some deadly river imperiled by forces beyond their control. Who are you pulling from the water? Are there people crying out for help, for justice, for compassion, for a meal, for a chance, for an opportunity, for you? Who are you pulling from the water? Are there people who have so much potential and possibility and promise in their lives for this world, like Moses People who can impact the world if only for you. If only you would get off the sidelines and pull them from the water. Who are you pulling from the water? Throughout this sermon series, we've been following the work of Futurist Faith Popcorn, who has described for us many of these cultural trends that impact how we live today. In the 1980s, she noticed this this cultural trend toward what she calls, save our society, that's the trend. And it's a trend that was based in the 1980s around this idea that we woke up finally in the 80s and we realized it's not just about us and our families and our communities, it's about the whole globe. And that suffering on one side of it impacts all of us. And so, if you remember in the 1980s, there were these great humanitarian projects that came along, like, remember Live Aid? music ventures like Feed the World, all these, all these uh, projects that, that helped raise funds for Ethiopian uh, uh, people suffering from famine. There were refugee crises around the globe. The Exxon Valdez oil spill, it woke us up to a global consciousness around environmental justice. Um, this, in other words, this global conscience was, was sort of catalyzed, it, it birthed, um, And it became known, as she described it, as Save Our Society. Of course, for those of us who follow Christ, saving the world is not a trend. It's a way of life. It's the measure of our faith. It's a core, non-negotiable commitment. Love God and love your neighbor. Jesus said that, and he quoted, of course, the Shema. Shema do justice love kindness walk humbly says the prophet micah or one of my favorite passages is from philippians it's it's the apostle paul's word to all of us instead of each person watching out for their own good watch out for what is better for others adopt the attitude that was in christ jesus who emptied himself by taking the form of a servant who are you pulling from the water How are you using your own unique gifts and passions and privilege to lift someone up, to invest in their future, to play your part in the ongoing, unfolding story of God's redemption? Paul says that for Jesus, it started with understanding that he had this unique privilege that was called upon. For Jesus, that that privilege was power. It was power expressed in equality with God. God and Jesus, says Paul, are co-equals, and Jesus could have exploited that power for his own purpose. But instead of leveraging it for self-gain or even self-preservation, instead of clutching after it, he gave it away. He poured himself out. Jesus used his privilege to pull the world from the water. And so Paul says, do likewise. Have that same mindset. It all starts with acknowledging our privilege. Can I just say we all have it. Every one of us in this room has some degree of privilege. Some of us here today occupy great positions of power and influence in our communities, uh, in our church, in our uh, organizations where we work. Some of us have been blessed with the resources of money or time or talents or education. Some of us here have the privilege of life experience, which is invaluable. The kind of experience of going through adversity and coming out on the side with some wisdom and some insight to share. Some of you have the privilege of a deep and fierce hopefulness and faithfulness I mean, the world can throw all kinds of stuff at you and you just, you rise above it. I envy that. That's privilege. Some have the privilege of being male. And if you're male, you never, ever have to walk through this world worried about being harassed or discriminated against. That's a privilege to be a male. It's a privilege to be male and to have complete sovereignty over your own body. And you can, be, you can be pro-choice and know and grieve the truth of that. You can be pro-life and know and affirm the truth of that. It is a privilege to have sovereignty over your body. Some of us have the privilege here of being white. And we never have to worry about the dangers of moving through this world in a black or brown body we never have to worry about driving while black or shopping while Asian. If we are privileged with an able body, we never have to worry about how we're going to get up those stairs in our chair or how we're going to get into that bathroom in our chair. If we're straight, we never ever have to worry about holding hands in church with our partner. We never have to worry about the baker for our wedding. do You see what I'm saying? In some, sense, in some sense, some of us really are born on third base. If you disagree with that, and that's okay, just ask why it is that women make on average 81% of what men make. Why blacks earn only 70% of what whites make. Why blacks are 10 times more likely to be incarcerated than whites. Privilege is hard to see when you're standing on third base. And please know, I, I've learned this the hard way. In, in many occasions, years ago, when I was pastoring my former church in San Diego, we took a group from San Diego to Mississippi to rebuild homes after Katrina. And one afternoon, I was talking with a woman um, who owned the home that we were working on. She was a single mom um, with a four-year-old daughter. She had a physical disability. She was unable to work for gainful employment. She lived monthly on a government check. Her home had been swept away by the storm, like completely gone. And she was living in a FEMA trailer while volunteers built her a new home. And we were talking one afternoon during a break on the floor. Her daughter was playing with some Barbies on the floor. And it just reminded me of my own son at the time who was also four. And I remember thinking to myself, in that moment, right now, back in San Diego, my little Matthew is in preschool. And so I asked the mom, where does your daughter go to preschool? And I should have known, but I didn't know. A lot of girls in Mississippi are too poor to go to preschool. And because of that, they are more likely to be chronically impoverished for the rest of their lives. Some people never even get to first base and the game seems to be rigged against them. Now, we can feel badly about this or we can do something about it. We can agonize over this or we can organize. And Jesus chose the latter always. He poured out his privilege for the poor, the widow, the orphan, women and children, the oppressed and the captive, the sick of body, mind, and soul, the sinner and the prodigal. Even you, even you. Who are you pulling out of the water? It starts by acknowledging that we are remarkably, wonderfully privileged. To not feel guilty about that, but to name it and to embrace it. Like Pharaoh's daughter, we can can do for Moses what his Hebrew mother couldn't do for him. And if we can acknowledge our privilege, we can then leverage it in life-saving ways. As Paul says, instead of each person watching out for their own good, we can, like Jesus, watch out for what is better for others. Leveraging our privilege, it looks different for every one of us. For some of you, it might look like being a frontline helper, rebuilding homes after a storm, feeding our houseless neighbors downtown, going to Boulder and cleaning up after a horrible fire. Please know, helping is, is a form of leveraging your privilege. For some, it looks like being a healer. Some of you are healers. It's tending to the human traumas that are caused by tragedies or, or wars, poverty, disaster, racism, homophobia, hunger, injustice. Just sitting and listening, caring and consoling, this is a form of sharing your privilege. It's Mother Teresa kind of love. For some, it looks like being a truth teller Biblically speaking, we call these folks prophets. They speak up, they march, they critique the world because they love the world too much to ignore it. You don't have to be religious to be a truth teller. In fact, some of the best truth tellers on the planet are those that write satire and those comedians among us who often scandalize us, often in vulgar ways, but often always with with the mission of showing us the ugly so that we can name it. How did the poet Robert Frost put it? He said, I had a, I had a lover's quarrel with the world. Yeah, you can love the world and critique it. Some can be a, a natural bridge builder. We can work across divisions with patience, grace, compassion, Years ago, my friend, uh, Reverend Gary Mason, came from Belfast and preached on this platform. Gary understands the value of bringing people together who are in great opposition. And all he really does, metaphorically speaking, he sets a table. He invites people to sit. And then he doesn't let you leave until you shake hands. Bridge building is a wonderful form of sharing your privilege Some of you can be holy disruptors, like those Egyptian midwives, Shipra and Pua, who defy Pharaoh's order. Rosa Parks, refusing to give up her seat. Nelson Mandela, inspiring an entire movement from a little prison cell. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great Christian martyr of Nazi Germany, who said, we are not to simply bandage the wounds of victims beneath the wheels of injustice. We are to drive a spoke into the wheel itself. Some of you can be a patron, just using your resources of time, money, experience, competency, connections, to make a difference, to fund change. And some of you can be visionaries who can see possibilities, can cast ideas, who envision the structure is scaffolding for a better tomorrow. And we need more visionaries, dreamers. Martin Luther King Jr. never once said, I have a strategic plan. <laughs> he had a dream that could change the world is bigger than all of us. Who are you pulling from the water? It depends on who you are. Are you a frontline helper? Are you a healer? Are you a truth teller? Are you a bridge builder, a holy disruptor, a patron, a visionary? These are all just a handful of ways that you can impact not only one little life, but maybe even change the direction of history. Our takeaways for today, some people are born on third base and others never get to first. First. When we honestly acknowledge our privilege, we can courageously leverage it for good. And if we're not pulling someone from the water, Pharaoh wins every time.
0: Amen.